So, hello everybody. Hello. Welcome back to a special special episode of Space Space. Safe space. Space safe. Space safe. Our somewhat Buddhist podcast. It's a special James Bond episode. Episode number 007. Mm. So, <clears throat> and of course it was just uh, the week of this jubilee of the Queen, so... Did you follow it? Not at all. Me neither. So not interested in so it. So we won't say much about it. <laughs> no. But it is a special week for the UK, so... And we have the James Bond title of this week, so... Otherwise nothing has changed. <clears throat> so welcome back, everybody. I'm here, Robert, and with me always is Davide. So last week we talked about changing and a bit about what was the Buddhist view, who should change, how should we change, what should we change, should we change at all, all these things. And <clears throat> I heard something interesting last week on the podcast, which I'm following, which is this podcast, Hypercritical, from the 5 by 5 network, and which has nothing to do with this show, by the way. There was just one point he mentioned <clears throat> that there is this kind of scientific research where there is some reason to believe that the brain actually is not just reacting to external influences, but what actually happens is, but the sensory kind of um, information that we get, it takes them quite a while to travel to the brain. So by the time they arrive at the brain, the brain is hopelessly behind the action because it's a couple of hundred milliseconds or so, which it takes for information to reach the brain. So if the brain then just reacts to the information it receives, this reaction might be way too late. So there is some reason to believe that the brain actually from past experiences tries to extrapolate what is actually happening now. So the brain gets the brain brain gets that delayed information from outside and it knows that's already happened in the past. So it's trying to extrapolate what's actually happening right now and it tries to react to what the brain thinks is happening now rather than what the information it gets. But if the delay is as important as they think it is, and I think they said that it's, uh, that delay refers to the visual information. And so the first job that the, the, the brain has to do is to realign information from the different senses because other senses are faster than the visual. That's right. Like the hearing, <clears throat> the hearing happens a bit faster, so they need to bring it together. Otherwise, we will yeah. all look like an out-of-sync movie. Yeah. Where <laughs> well, the brain is quite amazing. But also, uh, think about a tennis player. I mean, there's no way they would be able to play tennis the way they do if there was not a way for the brain to actually feel the gap. Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, think about video gamers. Yeah, the, the reaction time we have yes, there are milliseconds. There's no way. Yeah. And, yeah, so I, I tried to look it up and I put the article on our safespace.tumblr.com webpage. There's an article on Wikipedia and the experiment which they're doing is they have a moving object which is moving in front of the test subject. And at some point, 
there's a flash that which appears exactly where the object mm. is moving. So you have a moving object and a flash which just appears for a split second. Mm -hmm. And of course, the object keeps moving, but the flash appears exactly when the object is at the point where the flash appears. So flash and object are at the same point in space. But it seems that what human people perceive is that the object is not at the same spot as the flash because they already saw it as being a, a little <clears throat> bit further so than basically that. one of the reasoning and that's actually not conclusive but some people believe that basically because the brain knows this object is moving it kind of extrapolates where the object should be by now and that's where it perceives it while the flash it there's no way for him to know it that doesn't know beforehand yeah. so it stays at that point in space where the object has already moved on There's also, there's also different explanations for that. But the one that I like much more is that one because it explains a lot of things in our lives. Because basically, in a lot of things we do, we have to train the brain. We have to kind of repetitively train the brain so that it can anticipate what's happening and can react before it actually knows that something happens. Like if you learn how to ride a bicycle, at the beginning you can never ride a bicycle. You constantly fall over because if you only react to an imbalance when you feel that you're kind of falling, then it's too late to react and you will always fall down. So you keep on practicing, practicing, practicing and then, until the brain basically knows how to react Mm -hmm. to kind of the slightest imbalance when you ride a bicycle and can already correct it before you even think about it, before you have time to think about it or mm. before the brain maybe even has, has time to get the information. It's just like mm. preempting what's going to happen mm. rather than only reacting to what it actually knows is happening. So, of course, that could also be in the brain. They always call it the, the lizard brain yeah. or the, the reptile brain. You have this kind of area in the brain that's the amygdala, I think, it's going comes from a much older kind of history of the human development when mm. we were still crocodiles or something, which has kind of is immediately reacting to dangers and threats. Before and there is, you there actually, is no cognitive yeah. component involved; that's it's right. just like instant reaction. Before you even rationally can yeah. Yeah. recognize the object, you're already you're already running before yes, the lion. Exactly. Before you say, oh, there's a lion. Yeah, which is pretty good It's if helpful. you want to survive. <laughs> Or ride a bicycle. Mm. Or play, what is it called? War of Warcraft. What is the world of Warcraft? Yeah. Or some other video so, game. But so basically what they're discovering, what you're saying there is that... That, um, that, that type of... Um, the type of kind of work that the brain does shows up in form of perception. It actually, like, I'm going back to the example of the flash and the moving object, you actually see things that, the, the brains make you see things that are not happened yet. Yes. It's not that you kind of, in <clears throat> some way, preempt and then imagine, you actually, actually start feeling in the sense of seeing things that are completely constructed. Because they are going to happen. Yeah, which is either preempted or it's just habituation. 
it's kind of something you have learned. That's right. That this is how things function. But you actually, from your point of view, as a kind of a user yeah. of the of the brain, yeah. if you want, all the information you get is a perception. Yeah. Basically, you're not in touch with your with the world. You have this kind of brain filter between you you and the world, mm. which is already filtering information and creating you, information and creating maybe in, possibly we don't possibly filling the gap. <clears throat> So, what does that all have to do with changing? Well, what my thought was, what that actually shows is that a lot of our reactions, and we all have these people in the office or in our families or in our neighborhood. And David is playing with the microphone. I'm struggling and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we all have these people that we just have to see them, probably, and we instantly react. Yeah. We instantly think, oh my God, not that guy again. Yeah. Uh, we just have to kind of hear one word out of the mouth and we immediately kind of shrink and it's like, oh my God, that story mm. again. So I think there's so much kind of reaction emotional reaction happening yeah that we're not aware of this is not cognitive this is just instantly reaction yeah and a lot of those reactions i think we identify with as that's me and that's them yeah that's but well, first of all it's uh, it's the other person's fault of course yeah and that's the first thing we do they're completely predictable and yeah. there's only one way it's not that go. my that my perception is slightly habituated and doing something to me. No, no, it's the other person who is always doing, always doing the wrong thing. And of course, I'm completely justified to react in that way. So, and then we identify with that. And which is kind of funny because then we think it's really, that's how I am. And so now if you want to change... It appears like a huge thing, but I am like this, so how can I change? Mm. It's really makes it very hard for you to kind of even see the possibility of change. It's like, how can I change? But then I have to change myself. Then that's, that's not even me anymore. No, there's a fear of yeah, yeah, disappearing, disappearing. But, that, but that's me. That's my life. That's mm. how I am. I mean, so many people say. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just how I am. And that's really... Yeah, I hear people like uh, debating uh, whether people can change. And, and the, I heard both in, in like in a, like in real life, in a kind of a pop more culture, like in a TV or movie or something. People being very candid and very 100% clear, people don't change. It's hard to change. And sometimes they qualify by saying people don't change they just get older or adapt to situations. Actually, is, I, object, I don't think the people are getting older. Mm. Um, I have this theory that basically, actually in that respect, the brain is very slow. The brain never notices when you get older. I think that most people live at least like 10 years in the past. <laughs> so like if you're 45 now, you definitely don't think yourself one day older than 35 and probably 29 actually. Mm. That's how you feel. 
I mean, you're completely ignoring the fact that you're getting older. Mm. You feel like, well, I'm, and then I had, I mean, that was funny thing. We're doing this one web page, which is called what meditation really is. Uh, we try to kind of present meditation in a more modern form, which is kind of, kind of more interesting, especially for younger people. And we got this designer doing this design for this page. And honestly, I don't like the design. And I showed it to my daughters. They're like 12 and 14. And they were like, oh, that's a cool website. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. Because I don't feel old. And I don't feel like, I mean, that's the thought that even like young people would react so differently to something like that. Mm. It's kind of, you're like, oh shit, these people are really, I mean, now the young people are really different from yeah. the way I still feel young, you know, and I probably feel like 29, yeah. but actually. Did you ever watch a romantic comedy and you kind of identify with the person? Then you, both in the story and in real life, you look at the, uh, at the birth date of the actor or or even in the stories mentioned as in, in the 80s where you, where you actually have clear memories of you being a teenager in the yes, 80s and I they were just born like oh wow oh, that's a nice actress and then you look yeah. up it's like what 85 birthday 85 I was you know doing all kind of things <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I agree I, I fully kind of still identify with people in their late 20s and up until the 30s and here I am in my 40s and that's um, yeah but then when you actually see then you realize oh this is actually yeah they are quite different even though I still feel like I'm that yes. age but I'm not that age like that age people now I feel like 29 years old felt when I was 29 <laughs> not like 29 year old old ones feel now Okay. It's okay. So, so sometimes the brain is really good at preempting and reacting instantly, and sometimes it's really bad at actually acknowledging that things are changing around you. Um, but that was a completely tangent. The age we, thing. We were talking about uh, the feeling Reaction, of of, yeah. of self and the fact yeah. that we both find changing difficult. Some people even posit it as impossible and. The reason why is that is because we, we imagine mm. that there is something monolithic that need to change. Yeah. And, uh, you know. And we are making that. We are making this monolithic kind of self-image. We concretize it. What if you, it were, really if you were brought up believing that, you know. Everything's possible. Yes. And then, you know, there's no, you know. There's hardly, there's not so much, you know, there's a sense of continuum, but there's not so much in common between you today and you tomorrow. And when I talk to you tomorrow, we kind of <laughs> approach it a little bit open with an open mind instead of saying, oh yeah, it's Robert again with his whatever. Yeah, it might be, it would be really funny if you had a society where you kind of, you, you tell me like, you what you said yesterday was really bullshit. And I would kind of say like laughing, like, yeah, that guy yesterday Completely made a fool of himself. I just heard that Steve uh, Jobs was like that. He was a person that was able to embrace and defend an idea that just the day before, a he, day was before he was the guy against opposite. it. And he would present it as if it 
was the best idea ever. Of course, maybe as if it was his idea, but he had no, he have no big, you know, he have no problem making very strong statements and then say the contrary uh, short after because things change and it's interesting. He was like kind of also interested in Zen and Buddhism, and I just saw an interview with him and. He says a lot about, you know, things change all the time and who knows about the future. Yeah. There's no sense of static thing. So if anything, he, he kind of found a way to interface with reality that made it impossible for him to do things that other people now describe as... Yeah, makes it much easier for, for yes. you to live if you're not kind of have these really strong, solid principles. It's like, this is how I am. This is how I react. If you can throw those out the window and you can actually to react to react in the best possible way to what's happening rather than what you think is you and your reactions and your opinions. And yeah. Of course, you can react much more appropriately. What makes it difficult, I think, is that what, like, what would make it possible also for us to have this kind of misunderstanding is really this... Uh, you know, we could describe it more uh, neurologically or more like philosophically or psychologically is the fact that there are tendencies. And if you keep doing a certain things in your mind again and again, it becomes easier to do it and almost automatic at some point. Well, as we should, so with the brain, yeah. That's so, right. But then the kind of subconscious is doing things for you. But that doesn't On help. your behalf, without that's you right. even knowing. And that's why then, based on that, <clears throat> it's a bit easier to... think that there is something solid there, right? To think like, well, you know, I don't think that this idea of that there is a self or that we are something monolithic and solid is based on absolutely nothing. I think it's based on the fact that we, that there are these kind of particular qualities, maybe of the brain, of the mind that tends to kind of make it easier for you to repeat things if you do it many times. So there's a sense of kind of predictability, if you want. And then all that put together, I think with the second level, which is a cultural in thing that everybody, since you're a child, keep talking to you as if you were one thing. Like yesterday, if tomorrow your mother just find out that you stole the you stole the biscuits, yeah, it goes like you oh, get you took them again, yeah, and of course you're getting punished for something, something you that did you before. have done in the past. <laughs> so if I'm getting punishment for it now. I better believe that this was me doing this yesterday right. and not somebody else. I think it's a lot of that is, uh, is both like there's something in kind of the way our brain works and the mind, but also that we keep, people keep telling us that, that there is this thing. But then uh, the, the fascinating thing is that if you really try to look into that, you don't find much there that it's of any help in defining what you are. <laughs> <laughs> It's really, we were talking about a few times ago about the river. It's worse than the river. There's nothing there. Yeah. I mean, if you try to define yourself, it's deadly. I mean, try it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, there's nothing. I mean, even the cells in your body are constantly not just changing, but they're actually the material that they're made of is constantly mm -hmm. recycled and the cells are being recycled. Yes. I think the, well, I think your normal blood cells and so on that never last anyway much longer than a few days. The cells which last the longest are actually your neur neurons. Mm. 
And even those are being yeah. But I think that this one, like within the whole Buddhist kind of system, is one of the is the one of the easiest thing to kind of grasp intellectually, and the most difficult than kind of emotionally. Like the idea that there is no self. It's like the first time you hear it, it seems like BS, really, because like they're trying to deny something obvious, like that I'm here, you know, reading this thing that tells me I don't exist. But then they, you know, if the, the the best way is, you know, if they put it back to you, well, okay, have a look. What's what? What is it exactly? And then you say, is that okay? So is that, but not that? No, no, both of them. But you know, so both of them when? Yeah, back then. So what is now? Uh, so you you it's it's really simple to do this. Like in a in a in a court of law, it would be very simple to dismantle the case that the self exists because there's no proof. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you can't could, even come up with a model that describes. You can't what contradict anything that anybody is ever going to say about it. <laughs> it's really straightforwardly. But and even then, when you reach mm. that, it's like, yeah, that me, that sense of I, mm. that's just yeah, this kind of label that I put on this complete bundle. Coming back to last mm. week's bundles. It's just this bundle of things that I'm kind of putting together. But also very conveniently, we... <clears throat> we change it We change it constantly, kind of. that's right. That's my... Like, yeah. I have a headache, so the headache is not you because you have it. But that's, you know, I'm telling you, you know, that, you know, you are like this. And my hand, uh, so the hand is not me, so my arm. So where do we stop with the arm? Well, the head has to be me, so... So you're only the head, like on a physical level, is of course a bundle of things, right? Yeah, yeah, you could say you, you know, but uh, sure. But as long as you don't cut them out away, they all fit together somehow. Yeah, but that's, that doesn't is not very scientific definition. Yeah, well, at that point, you better go into your stomach <laughs> and decide if your stomach content is part of you or not. Oops. And when does it start to become part of you? I mean, obviously, your stomach content is your future blood and. Mm building blocks of your body but and and your future shit by the way so when people call you names you should be a little bit less shocked because you actually are a piece of s yes definitely <laughs> <laughs> and when does food become part of you and when does it stop being part of you hmm. and psychologically it's even it gets even more weird because it's like hmm. You know, all these thoughts keep moving. So, okay, it's not the thoughts. But sometimes the thoughts are very important to us. So we re-identify with that one thought specifically. So, But not the other thought. But not the other thought. And then we change the thought. Did we mm. change? But then the thought I thought is already gone. So is it me now or the thought that was there? But then is there... I mean, do you identify with your thoughts when you're drunk? Hmm? Do you claim ownership? You were probably would say, no, I was drunk. That wasn't really me. It was, yeah, exactly. Or I was I, some more sophisticated people. I was very angry, so it wasn't really me. Well, it looked like you. <laughs> <laughs> but then the thoughts, then sometimes what happens is that it's more like, okay, but no, no, not the thought, but the thinker. Okay. Where is it? Well, it's, it's the guy that is there that, both thinks the thoughts and perceive the thoughts. Mm. Mm. Have How you does ever it, seen him? No, yeah, you can't really. What does the thinker look like? Can you look at it? Can you think the thinker? 
Oh, well, the thinker cannot have thoughts because if the thinker is observing the thoughts, he can't have thoughts on his own, no? Now, he's already doing two things at the same time. Having the thoughts and perceiving the thoughts, which is a tricky thing to do. Yeah. But also, is is not you cannot perceive it. It's not something that you have data, you know. No. Have, well, I mean, we have no thoughts apart from thoughts. You can, yeah. So... But that's why the conclusion that is funny when you when you ask the Buddhist kind of texts, you know, if they, you know, when they say, "Well, okay, the self doesn't exist," but do you have some form of kind of definition for this thing that we think is the self? And if they are, you know, according to the school or whatever, they would say, "Yeah, it's a thought. The thought of me and mine is the self. It's nothing but a thought. One of the many thoughts you have mm-hmm. is the one that says, oh." I do exist and I am this thing. That's it. You cannot point, you cannot then tag, like, there's no more than that. And that's kind of, you know. But it, a lot of it is actually social conditioning, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an amazing amount of social conditioning, which we believe is just true. It's mm. just truth. You know, we never question like, that's just a convention. Like, for example, I mean, silly example. In the West, when we think of I, mm. you would most probably think of your head. Your eye is somewhere in your head. Yeah. When Tibetans think of I, they think of their heart. That they point in the middle of the chest. Yeah, when mm. they kind of say me, yeah. then it's me, my heart. Mm. And we think I is like me, my head. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think anybody in the in the West would even question that that assumption that the eye lives in the head. Yeah, that's automated. That's like, do you really hear your thoughts in your head? I do, kind of. Yeah, if I think they, I hear them yeah, like resonating th- in I my skull. I think of having my thoughts in my head. Yes. Yeah, but of course they're not. No, very clearly not. They wouldn't fit. <laughs> There's simply not enough space, not even in my head. There was actually, I mean, I think that alone, I mean, I had that experience when I was kind of just coming out of high school and I traveled around a little bit. And I'm coming from a Roman Catholic country. Okay, so sex is something very serious, sex, any sexual activity. And has a lot to do with with moral behavior and ethical behavior and all of these things. And it doesn't occur to you when you're brought up in such a society that it could be different. That's like, this is how it is. And then I went to Madagascar. And think we're different. Tell us more. Quite different. (laughs) (laughs) Where people just enjoy having sex and there is no morality attached to it so the real question is how how come you you didn't stay there <laughs> it was too much for me <laughs> i mean a guy told me it's like it's like reading a book you know some people like reading books some people don't some people like having sex some people don't mm. there's no n- there's nothing more attached to it than reading to a bo- reading a book that's entertainment yeah. it's kind of things you do there's no no kind of huge thing attached to it. I think that the capacity for a culture to really understand that and to really embody it is 
it's a very rare thing and it's a sign of development. I don't, I'm not even sure that it ever existed really 100%. So a society and a culture to understand that everything they believe in is completely relative and they're open yeah. to other possibilities <clears throat> without having to kind of completely give up their belief. But like, it's like, uh, okay, you meet a Japanese guy, they like to bow down and you don't, you know, that's what they do. They don't shake hands. So you, you know, it's neither better nor worse than that you do. Uh, maybe at that level we can do that, but there are so many things that it's like... Uh, it's just assumed. It's just assumed. And of course, the, the thing that really doesn't help is when people start to believe that what they do came from some higher source. Yeah. That really doesn't help. Because then how can you question that? Well, that's the only justification you might have, apart from everybody else is doing it. Which is the real thing. <clears throat> yeah. You know, there's no, you know, and I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of problem could be solved if there was more openness about, yeah, wait a minute. That's, you know, that's, that's another way to just do that. Yeah. And that's to perfect, relate to that's that. perfectly fine. I mean, I also learned that in Madagascar, people have a very different relationship to property than they have in <laughs> Europe. <laughs> so you better stay close to your stuff. You better, I mean things st ceases to be your property as soon as you're like 10 meters away from it. So <laughs> <clears throat> at best, mm. I mean, if you want to keep your stuff, you keep it on you basically. And mm. that's otherwise it's just going to walk. So people are having sex with all this uh, belongings attached to their body. Uh, people basically have nothing. So that's, that's not, oh, that's, that helps. And they also don't, it, it, it's not a big deal to have nothing. I mean, the thing is you need something to eat and that's important. But mm. once you have that, that's it. I mean, well, <clears throat> so anyway, I wanted to come back to the eight consciousnesses mm -hmm. because the eight consciousnesses is like the Buddhist equivalent of the neurological thing that we've discussed before with the brain kind of reacting to things before you even have time to think about them or, before they even happen. And we mentioned the eight conscious consciousnesses last time. So, where do they come from, the eight consciousnesses? Which, in which particular teaching of Buddha do they show up? Yeah, they, they have been mostly um, presented Mantra. by the Chittamatras, yeah. which is a Mahayana school of Buddhism. Um, the other method, the other model that is mostly known uh, uh, which is not completely contradictory. It's just, uh, you know, the other, the other model is the six consciousnesses. And you could say is that six consciousness is one model. And if you take the last conscious and you divide it into three, then you have eight consciousnesses. So mm -hmm. the two models can coexist somehow. So the eight consciousness model is a little bit more refined and belong to, of course, a different sub-school, if you want, of, of Buddhism. And of course, it's ultimately shown that it doesn't exist, but... Well, so many a, things in Buddhism is really helpful. The interesting thing is that uh, the, the, one, the one school that we say in the Chittamata that uh, professes the eight consciousness had a slightly difficulty to let go of the fact that the mind doesn't exist. Yes. So they say everything else doesn't exist. So the mind, uh, let's, we're not completely sure. Yeah. So uh, they are kind of a little bit attached to the idea of mind. And in, in fact, their view of the world is that everything is mind. So let's quickly run through it. So basically, you have the five sense consciousnesses. Yeah. So Buddhist 
an easy way to kind of divide up your perception is they divide up your whole sensory experience into five senses. Yeah. That's what we do too, kind of. Kind of, which is the eye, nose. Eye, nose, mouth. Tongue, eye, nose, tongue. Nose, tongue, ears, and then and tactile. Skin, yeah. Tactile includes, it's funny because there's all kind of experiences we have during the day that we wouldn't know where to put and they put it into tactile, like hunger, sleepiness, it's all it's all the inside and outside yeah yeah everything <clears throat> you feel that everything you feel but you don't see it smell mm. it taste it or hear it that's tactile so basically you have a consciousness which registers any of the sensory perceptions so that's the first five yeah then you have the sixth consciousness which is the mind consciousness that's in general is to to take in account the fact that um some things you perceive with your mind yeah like uh, thoughts, images in your mind. Um, yeah. yeah, all of these things. All of these <clears> things <throat> that, you know, have to do with... So, so far in these first six, there is no kind of judgmental thing or reaction or so on mm. going on. This is just pure perceiving yeah. objects, either mental objects or physical objects. Yeah. Then, and now that's, that's the interesting part, is the seventh consciousness. Mm. That's where all the kind of judgmental, judgmental things happening, the reactions, the yeah. instantly kind of building up a story, the kind of afterthoughts. Yeah. And I mean, what you're trying to do in meditation is to kind of not jump too quickly to the seventh consciousness. Yeah. And to just rather stay with the first six where you just perceive things and you don't go instantly into yeah. stories about it. Yeah, basic meditation is really to connect and stay with one type of perception and do that and nothing else yeah. as much as you can. Which basically you could say, as you said, in the other way around, meaning you do less of, of the seventh, of the seventh which yeah. is, oh, I like it, I don't like it, oh, this mm -hmm. reminds me of... Exactly. Also, a lot of it happens in a kind of less visible way. I mean, I, I think that the world of thoughts and reaction is, you know, it's very deep. Some of this is like sentences. And some of it is a little bit more, you hardly notice it. Yeah. You know, it's a very subtle form of thoughts. Maybe something that in modern psychology we would call subconscious or something like that. I think that all of that is, is also yeah. part of that. I mean... Uh a lot of times I feel that we not even perceiving really these objects. I mean, we are just perceiving our reactions to it. Yes. Yes. Because the interesting thing is that I was thinking about that, that when there is like, like you and I are talking now, looking at each other, there's way more happening in terms of communication that we are ready to acknowledge, but it is registered somewhere and it does create waves of reaction and thoughts because as we know, there's a body language like they have analyzed how much of the like CPU processing of the brain goes into reading your face. It's it's like almost all I can do at this moment. It's like super CPU. Like I can look at the at the mountain. I need like one percent of my capacity, but to like read your face, like seventy percent. And there's so much going on, and I see your finger moving, and a part of me is thinking, is it because he drank too much coffee, or maybe he just thinks we are going too long, or David is talking too long again? Which is of course you're always talking too long. So, but see what happens. And I think that all of that happens on a, pers 
you do perceive it, but you don't register it consciously, yet it has an impact on the way you feel. Yeah. That's all. And that's all is number seven. Yeah. It's all number seven. Well, in this, there's also Which is very appropriate as we are in episode seven. Yes, it's dedicated to consciousness number seven. Yes. Actually, all our episodes are pretty much dedicated to consciousness number seven. This is also all that it shows up to talk on the microphone. Yeah. That's all the kind of... What about number eight? Do you like number eight? I was always fascinated by... Number eight, by the way, we mentioned it last time, <clears throat> is called Alaya, which is the or ground consciousness. Yeah. It's called also like a storage place or yeah. storehouse. Where all your karmic imprints are stored. Which I guess is really good for the mantras because they need some mechanism to explain how karma works. Yes. And that's probably the purpose of the AIDS consciousness. There's some sense of continuity and yeah. stuff. I, I don't know if they account for memory there. I'm not sure where the memory, why, how the memory works from that point of view. Probably if part of it is, yeah, the alaya. It's very difficult. I never really understand it exactly because then alaya pops up in other, you know, context, meaning something slightly different but related. And then it all becomes like, okay. It seems like when we fall asleep, something happens also like that, you know, you know, you stop seeing, you know, perceiving and there's, you know, even the seventh kind of goes to sleep and the, but the eighth always stays there. Like even when you sleep and when you die, of course. But basically what, I mean, the whole point of this entire discussion is that to realize that first of all, we are not seeing the outer world as it is. No. I mean, and I think that's also in some Western scientific studies that basically 80% of our perception is based on our emotional setup yeah. more than what's actually happening outside. And only 20% is actually what's what's happening outside. Convention, I mean, mm. looked at it conventionally, as we know, nothing is happening because it's all not existing, mm. but conventionally at least. But you know, it's also, I think the brain is really trained to do a lot of work there in terms of... Um, what is it that, um, Oh, you're running over time already. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe we should. No, no. What does the brain do? I have no idea what the brain does. <clears throat> Never use it. I think, I think it has, it has to kind of make the best out of, uh, a very small, actually a, a small amount of information. Uh, and even that information arrives too late. So the poor thing is trying to survive all kind of, you know, pot potentially, you know, the tiger is out there 10 millisecond already for, you know, a hundred millisecond and you didn't even see it. I mean, you better have a, <laughs> you better have some sort of strategy. You're to deal better with that. good at reacting. Yeah. <laughs> because you're definitely not good at seeing things on time. Well, maybe she doesn't see you. Also, the tiger doesn't see you for 10 minutes. So maybe it's it's fair that way. Yeah, but the tiger might have been standing already behind you for a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> but the numbers, I think this, you know, I used to work in the as a sound engineer and I used to work a lot with milliseconds because there's a lot of, you deal with the delay of the recording, especially if you do hard disk recording like we're doing now, the latency of the, of the computer systems, but also use in a creative way using different type of delays to create different effects to cheat the brain to think about things. And one of the typical kind of threshold that you learn are the 20 millisecond threshold. 
where the, the brain below 20 milliseconds, for example, if you put the same sound and you, you put the same sound, like you put two sounds together and one is just same sound, but you know, less than 20 milliseconds later, and you put the one left and right on your headphone, all you perceive is like as if this thing was a nice stereo image and it was mm-hmm. not coming from the middle, but from around. If you go beyond 20 milliseconds, you start, you start hearing dis- discrete sounds. sounds. Yeah. And when I heard that there's like a hundred millisecond of, of, of lagging in your visual consciousness, I thought like, it's, it's a humongous amount of time. It's, it's a huge. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's, a, it's a shocker, actually. And again, going back to, to, to tennis player stuff like that, the stuff that, because the ball doesn't have eyes, she, the ball is going to be at that point where you need to hit yeah. it. And when the guy serves with 200 kilometer per hour speed, a hundred millisecond, it's a lot of the but ball. That, I wouldn't, this hundred milliseconds, I haven't seen it written down. So maybe it's more. That might that. have been just. It seems to be a huge amount of time. A legend, legendary number, I, not really the. I don't real think you thing. can pilot an airplane or drive a car with a hundred millisecond delay. But even thirty millisecond delay would be massive. It's a lot. So, so yeah, we but only just, have thirteen minutes delay at that point. Yeah, that's a lot, also a huge amount of time, and I'm yes. not even sure we said anything. Well, we never said anything conclusive because that's not the point here. But no, I mean. Actually, do you feel satisfied with what we say? Yeah. Because you are the one that comes in always with a plan, but never tells me what the plan is. So I don't know if we are on track. Well, the plan is to kind of talk about something for half an hour. The then goal, we can the, only... The, the goal is the talking, not the, the kind of solution. Then I, then we are always fine. We are always fine. I, I can always talk for <laughs> half an hour plus. <laughs> but actually, I was thinking... I mean, why are we doing this podcast in the first place? Mm. And well, my thinking is that actually with a lot of things we hear normally on the radio, on TV, we never feel we have an information overload. We mm. don't feel stressed by it, you know? I mean, nobody's asking you kind of, can you recite the news? <laughs> Do you have, I mean, it's just happening all the time. And mm. so you slowly assimilate it. And with Buddhist teachings, I think that's not there. I mean, we always feel like stressed, the kind of, oh, I'm, I received too many teachings already. I don't even have mm. digested what I, what I got so far. I need to go back away. I need to learn it. And I think there could be just a much more relaxed attitude where you have kind of more Buddhist-related, in our case, chit-chat happening. And you slowly pick up things over time. Yeah. It's all about, I completely agree. Like if you find a way to engage your mind and your being, if you want, with um, with whatever you engage it, if you engage it with hate, yeah. hatred kind yeah, of just, that's talk, that's your, that's, that's your life. Because see, and the whole thing is because there is no self. So what you do think and say in you is extremely important because basically it's mostly all you have. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, he's actually a good person, but, you know, he, he tends to kind of kill people. No, you know, he kills people. That's, that's what's happening there. That's, that's all we have there. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's a good person. It's definitely. So I find that if we find, a, for me, like we find a creative way, a creative way to, in, to, you know, slot in more time dedicated to thoughts like this, rather than other type of thoughts that are maybe a little bit 
more superficial at, at best. Yeah, it's good. And the other thing is, and I also heard it from somewhere else, that <clears throat> actually we don't have so many times when we are when we are ready to learn something. I mean, honestly speaking, most of the time we're not ready to really perceive and digest new information. We are busy with some things, you know, we're working, we're kind of just... But there might be moments when your mind all of a sudden is clear and it's like you're interested and whatever you perceive at that moment or in this short period of gap, where you have a gap, yeah. you will remember that for a long time or forever. <laughs> so, I mean, we are not learning when somebody else tells us now is the time to learn something. Mm. We are learning when we have this, the brain space to learn and then whatever happens to be in front of our eyes or coming in through our ears, that's what we're going to remember. Mm. So you better make sure that most of the time what comes <laughs> into your perception is something worthwhile learning rather than something that's completely ridiculous and, and nonsense. So that those moments where you're actually ready to to listen and to kind of digest new information that those are used in a meaningful way and not just with because they're going to be used no matter with what whatever they're going to be used whatever yeah. is there that's you're a good there one. and whatever happens to be there in front of you that's what's going to come in, into you and where you think about it and whatever that happens to be yeah and if it's just kind of the latest chit chat about whatever who has married who of which Hollywood actor then that's going to stick in your brain. So, yeah, basically be careful what you expose yourself to because sometimes it's going to stick. Most of the time it's not going to stick. It's just going to go, as we say, goes in through one ear and goes out through the other ear. But so there will be periods where, gonna where it's going to stick and then, then you have it. You're stuck with it. And uh, you have it in the eighth, and you might have it there for longer than you, <laughs> you ever thought you would. <laughs> so it's much better that you listen to us than to... What's, what? what's our worst example for what you don't want to be stuck with forever? Some kind of Hollywood news about who is yeah. who had a kind of a wardrobe incident Probably, last week. yeah. I think in Europe, people are not so exposed probably to this kind of stuff. There must be an equivalent, a French equivalent. Um, Paris match or what? <laughs> I, well, you overestimate the Europeans, I think. Yeah. Pick up a teenager magazine and you know exactly oh my God. what the kind of information you don't want to be stuck with. <laughs> so, I guess that's all. You're stuck with us much longer this week than usual. So, write to us about it. In, you yes, know. please write to us, Safe Space 2012 on Twitter, or Robert Rickbar on Twitter, or safespace.tumblr.com is the webpage. I think, didn't we have 2012 also on the Tumblr, because that was taken already? Yeah. I think so, safespace2012.tumblr.com. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, if you have anything... And please, anything that, I mean, we love to be corrected. Anything that you want to tell us or that you want to know about, let us know and we'll try to put it in. 
So thanks for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. Bye. Bye.